The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about a powerful but often misunderstood channel of marketing, affiliates. Joining us is Robert Glazer, who is the founder and CEO of Acceleration Partners, which is an award-winning global affiliate marketing agency that delivers performance-based customer acquisition and partnership programs for the world's leading brands. Through their performance partnership program management framework, Acceleration Partners helps their clients create transparent, high-value programs that bring customers more incremental sales and faster growth. Today, Robert is going to walk us through his view on when and how to launch an affiliate program. Okay, here's our interview with Robert Glazer, the founder and CEO of Acceleration Partners. Robert, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thanks, Ben. Excited to be here. It's great to have you here. I'm excited to talk about a channel of marketing that some people rely on to scale their business and some people just think is honestly a little shady. I'm sure I know which end of the spectrum you lie on, but before we dive into affiliate marketing, give us a little bit of context. Tell us about your background and about Acceleration Partners. Sure. First, I agree both of your statements earlier, and we'll talk about that. I spent a third of my book talking about all the shady stuff in affiliate marketing and how to work your way around it. But Looking forward to hearing the dirt. Yeah. Acceleration Partners, we are the largest independent global management agency. We've got 140 people operating out of US, South America, UK, and Singapore, Australia at this point. And we're really focused on launching and growing what we say next generation performance partnership programs, which is the sort of grown up version of an affiliate program. And we just really believe in the performance model and that digital marketing is moving towards people paying for outcomes. The money is all going to direct to consumer brands, publishers who have been relying on sort of overpriced media that no one's looking at and below the line programmatic and stuff like that are under a lot of pressure. So we've been doing this for a while, really advocating for how to make the model higher end and more white glove. And it's been exciting to see the market really accelerate in this direction over the, the last couple of years. And that's put some wind in our sails. I'm glad to hear that it's working out for you. And I'm glad to hear that you're open and honest about some of the challenges that the affiliate marketing landscape has faced. I saw some of them up close and personal when I worked at eBay. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But let's just start by defining how you think of affiliate programs. What is an affiliate program and what isn't? 
So it's a really good question. I'll talk about what's an affiliate program and maybe what's a performance partnership program and why we tried to create that distinction. But very simply, affiliate marketing is not a channel. And I think that's often misunderstood. It is a methodology. It is a way to partner with people. You could have affiliates that are in search, that are in mobile, that are in tablets, that are in retargeting. So it's just a way of creating a commission-based or performance relationship between a publisher and an advertiser. In more layman's term, the person that has content or users and the person who is selling something. And that's the model. And it's been hijacked and used in different ways, but that's simply what an affiliate program is. How we define a performance partnership, because we're seeing this really accelerate is, and performance marketing is just a way to use term. No one knows what anyone means by that anymore. And I can very accurately measure that I had no return on something and wasted my money, but I'm not getting it back. And that's what's different than the core affiliate model. So when people typically talk about the affiliate model, the first thing is in performance partnerships, the CPA, cost per acquisition. I am paying the partner for a lead, for a qualified activity, for a converted sale. I'm not paying them for a clicker impression. We like to say in these programs now, there is transparency between the partner and the advertiser or the publisher and the advertiser. And there's also an ongoing relationship. This is how it differentiates from sort of Gen 1 affiliate marketing. Back before there were brands online and there were like traditional brands and they were just kind of internet brands, no one cared about brand. <laughs> so if your affiliate gave you a sale, you didn't ask how they were doing it, why they were doing it. You might've never talked to them before. You might've not known who they are. We don't think that's pretty acceptable in today's day and age. So again, performance partnership has that CPA element that people love about affiliate. There's transparency between the party. There's an ongoing relationship like a business development partner. And then there's real-time tracking and payment. And that starts to just apply itself outside of the traditional definition of affiliate marketing, particularly as companies, and I know we're going to talk about this, move more towards licensing affiliates technology rather than necessarily working with a network or in conjunction to that. And when they do that, it starts to make sense for them to take a lot of these in-house partnerships, use that affiliate tracking and technology and contracting ability and manage kind of larger digital partnership program all in one ecosystem. Okay. So let me break that apart a little bit. You're talking about affiliates as not being a channel, which is interesting to me. When I worked at eBay in the internet marketing department, we thought of our business, I think it was like five different channels. There was SEO, SEM, or what I would have considered performance marketing, anything that was pay-per-click. There was a partnership and media buying team. And then there was the affiliates program, which is basically a way that smaller brands and other marketers could try to drive traffic to eBay and be paid on a performance basis. And they were restricted from doing performance marketing, right? They couldn't do AdWords. eBay would only do their own AdWords. But it was basically like, if you have any sort of other website, you could drive traffic to eBay and get paid when there is a conversion sounds like the model that you're talking about is not necessarily considering that to be a channel, but saying anything that is pay per performance, which is really just partnerships, is now the second generation of affiliates. Yeah. And people always ask me, like, can you give me an example as X or Y? And I, look, you could be an affiliate. You can link to my book through the Amazon affiliate program, put it on your podcast page, and you could make 7% from Amazon. Likewise, Ebates, which is rebranding to Rocketon Loyalty, is this multi-billion dollar public company that is an affiliate or a publisher. Same with Rita Minot, same with large mass media companies who are now using all of their inventory to become a performance-based publisher. The mom blogger in their basement, this is how they make a living on all the baby products that they talk about. So 
technology companies who are offering cool AI stuff and retargeting and more on-site stuff, but doing it on a performance basis, sharing that lift in revenue. That's really the expanded definition. And it's really more of this partnership. Version one in the 90s, it's just this mercenary, like deliver me a sale and I don't ask any questions and I don't want to know the answer. And today it's like French, I want to know what you're doing and how you're doing it, but I'd love to pay you for what you're able to perform and we'll work openly and I'll give you real-time tracking and payment and work with you. And if you need creatives or offers, let me know what you need. And I think that reflects that the world, with the exception of Amazon, is probably one of the few people that does both. It's just broken down between people that sell things online and people who are great marketers and have audiences. And neither of them really wants to get into each other's business. They're fundamentally different. Amazon, even though they're great at marketing, they are about shipping, logistics, getting it to you fastest, right? That's also why they probably have one of the largest affiliate programs in the world. So you've mentioned that there's the difference between Gen 1 and Gen 2 of the affiliate program, where Gen 2 is basically moving towards an aggregation of performance marketing relationships. So we're actually in Gen 3 now. So Gen 1 was this wild west of anything goes, don't ask, don't tell, more affiliate revenue, the better. And what's different was when you think about in those days, everyone went to these networks and asked them to manage their affiliate program and also be the platform. No different than going to Google and asking them to be your paid search agency or going to Facebook and asking them to be your paid social agency. Only difference is no one would ever do that (laughs) in social or search because the conflict of interest is very obvious to them and that they have an incentive to just spend more. And that's what happened. Affiliate marketing was exciting. There was no attribution. Programs were doing all this revenue and brands realized they turned over control of programs to a network that was conflicted. It was like dual agency in real estate. They represented publishers and merchants, and they actually got paid more than more the publisher made. So that was really the summary of Gen 1. Don't ask, don't tell, and drive top line numbers as much as you can. Okay. So I mentioned that when I was at eBay, that the affiliates program was a big part of the marketing mix. And one of the things that sticks out to me, and you wrote about this in your book, was some of the fraud. There was a pretty high profile case at eBay where I think they were defrauded for $30 million or some sort of absurd amount of money through their affiliate program. And I was sitting in the marketing team a row away from people that were being questioned by the FBI asking what did they know and what were the analytics of eBay's affiliate program because people were basically stealing money from eBay hand over fist. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. 
Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. Talk to me about some of the changes between Gen 1 and Gen 2 and how did things like what eBay experienced lead to that shift? That really ended Gen 1 with a bang. And I think it showed a couple of these trends all coming to a confluence, which is that one, again, the network and the managers actually at eBay, if you read the articles, were incentivized just to drive volume. So there's a lot of evidence that they kind of knew what was going on, but looked the other way. And the publishers kind of asked to get out of it, but then they were hitting their numbers. So this was just this era of unattributed revenue. Can I interrupt you and let you know what really happened? Yeah eBay was working with Commission Junction and decided that the affiliates program was large enough that they were going to bring the program in-house and they developed their own affiliate network. And through the transition, they discovered that the metrics they were looking at didn't make any sense. And a lot of what they were looking at was the time between click to conversion and how nobody could actually make a conversion. I think that was one of the key triggers. And that's how they realized that they were being defrauded. And it wasn't actually that the people that were working at eBay, I'll caveat this with, they are my friends. Yeah. They were not neglectful of just trying to drive top line growth and not paying attention to what was happening. It was a technology shift and bringing the platform in-house that led them to realize that they were being defrauded. Yeah, there is testimonies and interviews. I've read them, the FBI interviews with people who were involved that the publisher tried to get out and slow down and everyone was crushing their number. Look, it is a classic story of incentives and behaviors. And what doesn't start out as a bad thing, I've read a lot of the court documents, it starts to be what you incentivize, you encourage people to do. So I actually didn't know about the timing. No one was sure whether eBay was going in that direction anyway. I mean, their bill must have been getting really big with CJ. What is interesting also about that is that that was actually like a move towards SaaS, which we're seeing now, which mm-hmm. a large player said, look, I don't need to pay all these ridiculous markups to work with all these large brands. Like, I just need the technology and I can do this myself. So it sounds like that's the dividing line between Gen 1 and Gen 2. Yeah. Tell me about Gen 2 and how is that different than the any conversion is fair game. I don't care how it's happening. Just get me traffic. So in Gen 2, you started to have some smarter, pure play e-commerce brands launch. And people start to look at the affiliate channel and say, look, I'm building an attribution model. And the stuff that affiliate is claiming revenue for, I'm seeing in search. I'm seeing in direct channel. We're seeing a lot of last in. So last in attribution was the default metric that everyone was using. There started to be rethinking about that. And people started to either think about, and there was sort of a birth of these independent agencies that said, hey, we should probably manage your program outside the network and really pushing the networks to show that the traffic was incremental. So before that time, I never heard the term incremental revenue. It was just affiliate revenue. 
And then there started to be talk about that. And, and also you had brands coming online. You had folks like Adidas and Nike and Nordstrom and their definitions of brand safety in the affiliate space and all these toolbars and things that were overlaying the website and changing user experience. You had people asking a lot of questions. So it moved from a full quantity oriented discussion to, hey, are we getting quality and should we work with these people? And I know they're generating revenue, but is that quote unquote affiliate revenue, but is that actually valuable to us? So how do people evaluate what is generating incremental revenue as opposed to something like cookie stuffing or a toolbar that's just dropping a pixel and taking credit for transactions that would have happened? Well, people started to actually have attribution technology. So they had things like, as Google Analytics got better, they had Convertro, they had Adometry, they were looking at cross-channel and the acquisition people who sit above the affiliate people were like, oh, wait a second. All of this coupon revenue all came in the last two minutes from people already in our cart who aren't even using coupons. So there really started to be a pushback. Whereas in Gen 1, the highest volume affiliates got paid the most. And I think we helped push this. But in Gen 2, it started to be a real push towards paying the highest volume affiliates the least and saying, look, I know you're driving a lot of volume, but we don't think it's a lot of quality. So instead of paying you 10%, if you want to do this, we're going to pay you 2%. And you started to really see commission rates go down rather than commission rates go up. That's interesting. So somebody that is driving a high volume of traffic, the couponing sites being the prime example, might not necessarily be driving incremental revenue. There has to be some value of those type of experiences getting somebody across the finish line. Right. There's some value. But look, we didn't make a lot of friends. We wrote the first article on why the network model is a conflict of interest. And everyone said, oh, we totally disagree. They didn't tell us how they actually firewalled, but they just said, well, that's not true. And we just found out time and time again, when we were working with brands, we were sitting with a large retailer and we said, X coupon site, they seem to be promoting offers that are expired and not real. And they have a click to convert button and they're generating a ton of quote unquote affiliate revenue in your program. Could you do us a favor? Could you pull all the orders with a corresponding coupon code for the last 60 days? And they did that. And we found like 62% of them didn't have a coupon. <laughs> so as business people and people who represented the brand's interest, we said, look, this just doesn't seem right. It seems like they're getting people to click on this. They're not changing user behavior. They're not even using the coupon and they're getting paid for this. So we went to some of the networks and the emerging tech platforms and we said, who can help us with this? This seems like a real problem that we want to solve for our clients. And one of the networks really progressive at the time, ShareASale, built in this coupon locking technology for us, which now is ubiquitous across all the platforms. And we really pushed all our clients on that and said, we don't think you should pay for things that are not real. And then we would go to the coupon sites and say, guys, here's a coupon for a new customer. Here's a coupon for high AOV. Please promote these. Please don't do these made up offers. And if you do, you're not going to get paid on them. So you really might as well focus on the things that are real versus not real. Every Everyone else was like chasing the horse afterwards out of the barn. Like we were trying to figure out a way to close the barn door so we didn't have to run around and deal with everyone who had sort of violated the rules. We also really cracked down on terms and conditions. We made it kind of you're guilty until proven innocent because as you know, in the MarTech space, people give you all kinds of evasive answers. Like when you try to ask them what it is that they're doing. <laughs> Never realized that. It's honestly one of the things that helped me create a podcast is trying to explain what people are doing because they're so evasive. But <laughs> nevertheless, the difference between Gen 1 and Gen 2, Gen 1 is just purely, was there a conversion? And people are cookie stuffing, dropping pixels left and right. They're interrupting the buying cycle with coupons and just taking credit for every conversion that happens. Gen 2, we start to see a focus on understanding what the incremental value is of an affiliate relationship. And you're only really paying out based on when somebody is driving incremental traffic. 
You said that we're in Gen 3. What is the affiliate channel like today, and how are you really honing in on who's driving incremental value and only paying for that performance? So a lot of the platforms today offer cross-channel analytics and pretty sophisticated commissioning in order for you to come up with rules that match your business logic. So if you say, I want to pay a coupon site where there wasn't a partner in the transaction, or if there was content, but the coupon interacted in this way, then I want to do the commission rules this way. It can be a weapon of mass discretion. You have to be careful how you use it, but there's a lot of flexibility. There's also just more competition in the technology than there has been before. So the start of Gen 3 and the end of Gen 2 was when two companies that have really both changed their names now, so it's now Impact and Partnerize, came out and started offering the affiliate network basically as a SaaS solution to brands so that they could run their own programs and doing that on a different fee model. Like to the publisher, it looks like a white label solution with the brand's name rather than co-brand on the network model. And that has offered a really different solution to a lot of brands who find that more attractive, particularly with their large partners who they were spending all this time and trying to pay them smarter in Gen 2, but they're still paying massive performance fees to these networks for the same partner that they worked with for 10 years. And here are these companies coming out saying, look, this guy's doing 10 million a year and you've worked with him for 10 years. You could just manage this relationship on our software for a fixed fee and you don't need to pay performance fees anymore. And that was the really first change to the pricing model in 20 years. Okay, so now basically there's the ability for you to white label and manage your own affiliate channel. And I think that leads us to the big question, which is the title of this episode. How do I know when I should launch an affiliate program? And how do I actually go through that? Is it as simple as just, you know, I have this SaaS platform and I'm dropping a logo on? When's the right place and who should be launching an affiliate program? I can answer that in two ways. Generally, we like to see a company at a couple million dollars in revenue before they launch an affiliate program. And the reason is that it's not a great first channel. As a new brand, you have to fight for shelf space. You're asking people to take risk and work on a performance basis. And I've seen too many companies change their model or pivot or do something. And if you experimented on your affiliates early on and they didn't do well, they're not going to be super receptive. So Get your pricing, get your inventories. The amount of businesses from one to five million that switch business models is a lot. So that's where we like to see people start. And then you could start small. Like you could sign up with a network. I actually think the SaaS is a better solution for a larger program that has brand awareness because one of the real values of a network is getting your brand out there to an existing base of publishers when you're when you're early on. So you could start small, but just run it and pay attention to it. You could set up an affiliate program probably for a couple hundred dollars, a hundred dollars a month with a smaller network. You could have two or three people in it and that's great. It's when you set it on auto approve and you don't pay any attention to it. And then two years later, we have to come in and find a thousand affiliates who are all cheating and kick them all out and clean it up that it's a disaster. So I think that the time when you can really put the resources to scale the program properly is probably 10, 25 million in revenue when you can treat it really like a channel in your business. But if you're the owner and you want to have this in place and you want to manually approve, you can start early. Just don't get into a really long-term contract, high minimums, like don't buy way more than you need. Just it's more important to be quality, even if you had one partner, than it is to let it go sort of unmanaged. I think the big takeaway here is that to launch an effective affiliate program, you need to be stable with your business model, which means that you're in growth mode, not in startup mode, right? You're trying to scale and the affiliate channel allows you to leverage a whole collection of publishers to drive traffic and therefore conversions to your site. It does require a fair amount of management, mostly when you're doing it at scale. Couldn't have said it better. 
All right. I think that's a great place for us to stop today. So that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Robert Glazer, the founder and CEO of Acceleration Partners, for joining us. In part two of this interview, which we'll publish tomorrow, Robert is going to tell us about the tech stack behind effective and fraud-free affiliate marketing. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Robert, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send him a tweet at Robert underscore Glazer, that's R-O-B-E-R-T underscore G-L-A-Z-E-R, or you can visit his personal website, robertglazer.com, or his company website, which is accelerationpartners.com, A-C-C-L-E-R-A-T-I-O-N-P-A-R-T-N-E-R-S.com. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thanks for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you, so we created benjshap.com slash question, where you can send us your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. My handle is benjshap on Twitter and on LinkedIn. That's B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with Robert Glazer, the founder of Acceleration Partners, when we're going to discuss the technology and analytics behind driving risk-mitigated scale through your affiliate program, we've got great episodes lined up for the rest of the week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.